Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, listeners, this I is this is one of those. Do apologize for if I do have like a bit of a scratchy, nasally voice. I seem to be coming down with something, which is both a fact and a tragedy. Are you getting down with the sickness? I'm getting ooh, ha 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 ha. I'm getting down with a sickness, and no ooh ha 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 ha. It's more like ooh. <laughs> right, so let's um, let's get into funny okay. man before before too much happens. Yeah, before our, our willpower gives out. Okay, funny man is a British film. It is. Quote unquote starring Christopher Lee. Oh my god. Who in the grand tradition of B films has top billing in the film but appears for I mean, maybe an accumulative two minutes during yeah. the entire film. Yeah, yeah. We see him in the beginning. There's like a gambling scene. And then there's just cutaways of Christopher Lee. And he does a little bit of voiceover at one point, And that's about it. So don't get sucked in with the promise of a Christopher Lee film mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. we're saying. Do you want me to run through a real quick little synopsis over here? I, I believe you can beat your previous record with this one. Uh, what was my previous record? Fast. We don't actually time no, it. No, we don't. Okay. Let's go for faster. All right, let's see. Let's see you do a faster one. Uh, okay. Start your timer now. Click. Funny Man is the film about a rich British record producer who wins an old mansion in a gambling game from Christopher Lee. He travels to the mansion with his family and he's sending along all his producing gear with his less successful sibling who also picks up a bunch of archetypal hitchhikers along the way. When they get there, things start getting hairy because the house is inhabited and or haunted by a what seems to be like a 1600s jester who begins killing off each member of the cast in some kind of semi-ironic way. So for instance, the guy who plays with puppets dies in a Punch and Judy show. Yeah. And then everyone dies and that's it. And Christopher Lee is insane the whole time. He was in an asylum. I I have a first question about Christopher Lee's character. It's clear that he desperately wants to get rid of the mansion. Yes. Because it's it's filled with evil clown. We're, it's filled with evil singular Why clown. He... <laughs> yes. Because, I mean, the clown is kind of like omnipresent yeah. in the home. Yeah. So why, why didn't he just fucking sell it? Because it's kind of hard to sell a mansion that is just covered in jester faces and yeah you literally cannot survive several hours in the house without being murdered by a court jester which one thing i do want to say about the the humor in this film is that while the funny man is not at all funny in modern terms not at and all. his jokes and gags are incredibly unfunny and even to the characters in the film seem convoluted and hard to understand to maybe a medieval audience, it could be funny. It's rather slapstick, it's lowbrow. That's most of what I have to say about this film, is is just talking about the idea of the fool. Yeah. But I I agree, yeah, the the clown's humor, we shouldn't really call him a clown, the jester or the, uh, the fool, the trickster, 
his humor is incredibly broad. Yeah. But there were, I guess there were some funny moments. Well, just before we get into any funny moments, I want to I wanna start us off by saying that the film starts with a Bible quote. Uh, from like something Corinthians something. You know how those Bible quotes work. Uh-huh. Uh, and it says, if anyone thinks he is wise, and remember saying he, uh, well, they assume my gender uh-huh. of the Bible. If anyone thinks he is wise in this age, let him, him, become a fool that he, he, may find true wisdom. Yeah. Okay, that's quite interesting. That actually leads us into a discussion of the idea of the holy fool. Yeah. One, one of the many kind of archetypal types of fools. So the holy fool, I think, is, is mostly like a, a Russian tradition where the... And here we're going to have to be really careful about how we talk about mental illness, I guess. But where the insane person is seen as having a secret knowledge, a a direct link to the other side, so to speak. Yeah. So in that way, while they are not functional in society, they don't, you know, labor, they don't contribute in scare quotes, they have this connection with God or with the spiritual realm, which allows them to have a certain wisdom for which they are then appreciated in in medieval society. Yeah, it's almost uh, Lovecraftian in a way that that connection, that touch, that direct contact with the beyond would render them insane or Mm. mentally ill, to use a broader term, and not medieval term. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really difficult to talk about these things because they weren't thought of as insane at that time in in the medieval time because that that wasn't really a concept yeah they were just fools yeah they were just not the norm and then sidelined and not thought about yeah so the film starts us off with that quote about holy foolishness and the wisdom gained from that but is this clown does he have a name i don't think he has a name uh no i don't think he has a name no when asked who he is he says my card and he just slides the joker across uh like Mm. from playing deck of cards so i guess uh he's just the embodiment of the trickster god who has been with humanity since you know the beginning since there were gods. Yeah, I mean, of course, the, the trickster is found in pretty much all mythologies across time yeah. and space. Uh, it's basically a way to explain why you're always misplacing your keys. It's easier to say that yeah. it was a trickster god <laughs> than going like, man, I really should start leaving my keys in one spot and not yeah. fucking all over the place. And then, of course, you know, that's that's a part of your folly yeah. to not put your keys in the same. Exactly. But so my question is, do you think Mr. Joker, aka the fool, aka the jester, is he a holy fool? Because the film seems to be trying to tell us that. I don't know if he is holy as much as he is in the film an instrument of the holy. Mm. He himself is not holy. He seems more demonic in nature, but then he is going about this process of showing uh, the victim's foolishness, exploiting the foolishness, and then in some sense enlightening them, or not them, but enlightening Mm. Max to his ultimate folly 
and you know leading to his insanity and eventual death no he survives max survives the record producer guy makes it out in the end right does he uh, he he gets chucked out of the window he he's flying on his trolley oh yeah and then he he crashes through the window and i think he doesn't make mm. it well either way i f- i feel like the foam is more of a critique on the subjectivity of humor and the general foolishness mm. of humans then it is about yeah uh him really being holy or you know he doesn't seem to have much purpose in that way he might be kind of a jungian shadow side to the holy fool an unholy fool yeah almost fascinating in the way that the devil is described as as the ape of god so like evil but still with some kind of preordained purpose. Yeah. Am I am I whistling out of my ass right now? Uh, you don't seem to be. It sounds it all sounds good. Okay. It's golden. No no whistles on your No end. whistles. Okay. Um so yeah, talking about that, I think I think it would be best to approach this film going character to character rather than plot wise because they really they're kind of a, a very loosely connected vignettes about each character. Yeah, uh, to me there wasn't much in line of a plot. It was Not it was really just a bunch of set pieces thrown together and the characters are really what's focused on in this film. Okay, let I guess let's talk about our our main main characters even though they kind of disappear. Yeah. Max Taylor and his family. Yeah. His unnamed family except for his daughter Jamie who is named. I've got a list of follies here. uh that i kind of extracted from various medieval and um enlightenment era catalogs so some funnies that we can go back to and we can connect them to some of the different characters insolence riotousness sloth presumptuousness perversity extravagance hypocrisy clumsiness vanity covetousness flattery perfidy gullibility quarrelsomeness, licentiousness, laziness, and vicious and criminal offenses. Oh wow. Um that last one is pretty broad. Yeah. I like how being lazy is both mentioned in slothfulness as well as laziness. Uh yeah, I guess that's just uh that's right. That's just a product of me compiling from different sources. All right, because I also feel like, you know, my own slothfulness accounts for two deadly sins, two follies. <laughs> Is that just how slothful you are? That's just I'm like you can put me and a sloth next to each other. I'm going to lose that race. <laughs> sloth wins. So I would say Max accounts for an extravagance and a, an excessiveness. Yeah, I would also say hypocrisy. Oh yeah. Yeah, because uh as we find out later in the film when Max's letters are spread about and his brother reads the letters is that Max was pretending to have his brother's back but then also his brother could have played with uh the stones the, the rolling stones and Max kept that from his brother for no real reason so in that way I would say he's hypocritical but I do I do agree he's very excessive and very extravagant yeah he's almost I think the worst character in this film you know in quotes but yes he's a complete cokehead yep. he's neglectful of his family 
He loves himself so much. He really does. He's cruel to his brother. And in general, he just doesn't care about anyone but himself. Yeah, it really, if, if we're taking it all on Max's journey, this is kind of like, again, a morality play, but where mm. Max is being made an example of. His follies are on parade. Yeah, absolutely. His kind of punishment also goes on the longest. Yes. Because we see several other characters go through their punishment and die in the time it takes for Max to finally meet his end. Yeah. How does his so-called punishment begin? So Max is sitting down in the games room of the manor. You know, he's a record producer, so he is going through new music to see who's in the yay, yay or nay piles. I don't know, he's saying, you have four bars to impress me, which is not a lot. That's not even a full intro. Yeah, not a lot at all. Uh, I've listened to many great songs where, you know, the first four bars are absolute shite. And then from there it develops. And later when you listen again, uh, it picks up. it's better. But he believes he's got such an advanced ear that within four bars he knows everything. So he's listening to this yeah. rave track or something. Yeah, and he's like, oh yeah, this is this is the stuff. Yeah. But he's also maybe got like two or three grams of coke uh, coursing through his veins right now yeah, as yeah. well. So not super objective, very overconfident. <laughs> but then <laughs> this song starts to affect him. And that's really where his torment begins because the song starts taking over his reality. Cards start falling. He's attacked by some fluttering playing cards. It's all very vague. And then bad things happen. I guess that's the point at which he is transported to the clown world, which is, I suppose, this liminal space that opens up in the mansion where the clown has complete control over the physical laws and the everything of that zone. Yeah. So he lands up there and he's at the point of a giant line of coke, maybe like as thick as like an A3 page. Yeah. The line stretches up into this kind of carnival cutout of a clown with a bleeding nose. And of course, he can't help himself. He's going to try and sniff like what like five <laughs> kilos of cocaine not even wolf cop would have done that yeah <laughs> and as soon as he puts his nose to the cocaine he just shoots up through the clown and he enters the hell world yeah. of the jester's torture it's one of those classic medieval traps that a demon or some sort of avenging entity would set for you where it's kind of ridiculous but it is also what would be considered entrapment in the modern era and would not be <laughs> done by the police. It is sort of like the funny man, this trickster god, has the kind of control over reality that you see in classic mm. cartoons. Yeah, definitely. He is, in a sense, a Bugs Bunny type. I mean, not as wholesome, obviously, but in a sense... Yeah, definitely that kind of cartoon character. He has he's not bound by any laws, yeah. no no moral or religious or legal laws or even then in his world by physical laws. He can do and create whatever he wants. Yeah. So then Max I don't 
he's deposited on a trolley yeah. that goes flying through the house. And we see him in various scenes just on the trolley, zipping around the house. And both that and the long line of coke into the clown nose are a little bit on the nose. Yeah. And that's something that's, that's going to be a hallmark of this film. Yeah. I would say that the funny man doesn't really have a lot of imagination. There's a quote from uh, Jung that I found where he says that the trickster has a psyche that has hardly left the animal level. Yeah. So there is a wit to it, but it's all incredibly direct. I agree with that. That fits this guy perfectly. I feel like we can move on to some of the other characters uh, and their their follies. So Max's family, he's got his wife. I had to write down this quote. She said, I am too rich to be unhappy. She doesn't have a name, (laughs) but she's got that line. Yeah, and she gets killed in the Gallery of Pleasure or the, what's it called? Love, the Love Gallery. Yeah, something like that. It's just a room filled with sort of semi-erotic Grecian statues. And she's constantly trying to get out, but, you know, re-entering the same room in that kind of cartoon style with the jester constantly stalking her, making moves on her. I guess we should describe what the funny man looks like. Yeah, so if you can imagine from the original Spider-Man trilogy, the Green Goblin's face, but in flesh tones, that's sort of what funny man's face looks like. He's got pointy ears, like some kind of elfin creature. Uh, He wears the jester's hat Mm. with the bells. He's wearing the full jester's costume. He has this weird... Yeah, the Harlequin pattern tights yeah his chest is oddly uh convex like a barrel it's barreled but then it's kind of pointy like like a dog at the front you know the ribs sort of point Mm. outwards and are very elongated Yeah, yeah, yeah the rest of his body is clearly human except for his penis well i would say except for his codpiece which is a fascinating fashion that they used to have back in the day of having a false phallus just erect and sticking out from your crotch. Uh, Now, his is extremely pronounced and sticks out rather far. Yeah, definitely a reference to the folly of lasciviousness. Yes, that brings us to another character who has the folly of lasciviousness, which is the jock guy we should also mention uh this time it's not just us forgetting characters names these characters are literally named i think in his case tough man real tough guy i refer to him throughout as future brexit voter yeah that's that is i mean he's not as a character he's not interested in talking he's not interested in emotional connection He's really only interested in his base drives and desires. Again, bringing it back to the sorts of characters we see, the sorts of one-dimensional characters we see in medieval morality plays. Yeah, this is almost an update on those kinds of characters. So in his case, he's got the mustache. He's wearing the British Bulldog t-shirt with the suspenders. And he's mainly interested in sex and violence and 
being dominant in both those categories. Yeah, he belittles the other males around him and he patronizes the female characters. He clearly sees himself as an alpha male in the group and he's very offended by the crap puppeteer which is the other character's actual listed name. Oh, wow. Yeah, I prefer to call him Recovered Hippie because that's that's a little more what he is for me. Yeah. He's kind of based out, kumbaya kind of guy. Yeah, he's more of a, a representation of 90s PC culture. Yeah, definitely. And while they're sitting in the van, the puppeteer puts on a little Punch and Judy show, which, um, if you don't know is a very old school form of puppetry that always depicts an incredibly abusive relationship mm-hmm. with the man just beating the crap out of his wife. Probably why he's called Punch. Yeah, they really aren't going for subtlety <laughs> in British satire. It doesn't really count as satire. Anyway, so he puts on a little Punch and Judy in the van, but he makes the puppets actually resolve their issues yes if i remember correctly yeah they see a counselor or something yeah yeah um which i think is quite a clever little subversion of the usual trope but tough guy future brexit voter is not amused at all he is offended by this political correctness which has a little irony in it yeah. he, he's offended for not being shown something offensive but that that fits his one-dimensional character this play the subversion of his expectations in its essence it is not it's not one-dimensional enough for him it is sort of a originality and meaning leaking its way into this film and the characters in the film swiftly rejecting it which is exactly i guess a testament to conservativeness or being a reactionary where any kind of change whether for the better or the worse is seen as completely out of bounds yeah change is taboo so how does mr tough guy bite it in the end so tough guy has the one of the more elaborate punishments where he abandons the crap puppeteer as the puppeteer enters some tunnels he decides nah i'm not sticking around for this guy he walks off he finds a door and the door just says something like girls 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 and he can't help himself yeah it's called club sexy and there are like plastic boobies next to the door well there you go he can't help himself the plastic boobies they lured him in i tell you what if i find a door (laughs) in the middle of nowhere with sounds coming from it and i check behind the door and there's nothing behind the door i'm not going into the door Especially not if it's called club sex. I'm leaving. Because you know it's going to end badly. I I wouldn't even go into a regular strip club. Why why would you? In the middle of the night, on the grounds of a mansion where you know the owners are missing and that's who you're looking for. Yeah. Why would you think? But anyway, so he goes in and meets Mr. Funny Man. And the Funny Man tells him that it's the psychedelic wig party. And he has to wear wigs and the wigs as he puts them on it's different kinds of music it's sort of like a drug type metaphor where he's choosing his poison and eventually he chooses some sort of yeah uh what's it called 90s rage which is just rave music yeah i think i i think whoever wrote the film 
uh, had, had only heard of rave once and had misheard it as rage. Yeah. Or it could be that the funny man being this medieval construct of the jester, the fool, just mm. isn't very in touch with the 90s. I mean, that might very well be it. <laughs> um, yeah, so he chooses the rave wig. And we should mention that another part of the of the trickster trope, a shapeshifter. Yeah. He's both the concierge at the front who gives him the wig, and he's also the bartender who extorts him with drink money. Yep. And he's also then the stripper. Yes, the stripper with very pronounced breasts that yes. are like clearly made of like a hard substance, and he's not doing much to change his appearance. But no. it's the same as if you were watching, say, Bugs Bunny do this. You would still be able to tell that's Bugs Bunny. This is still the funny man. Yeah, it's, it's Bugs Bunny doing the, the Wagner opera, you know, as a Valkyrie. Yes. Yeah, and that's something that reminds us of the funny man's grotesqueness, which is a, kind of a concept from Bakhtin in which all ideals of beauty or morality or spirituality are completely debased in the body. Yeah. He definitely accomplishes that in the strip. Oh, scene. yes, he does. He then tempts the tough guy who, being nothing but a walking libido, cannot help himself. He pursues the funny man. Yeah. And then somehow he seems to be transported into London, into an alley where he then runs into the funny man as himself. They get into an argument about the stripper, the funny man saying that that is his wife, and tough guy having alluded to some desire to a sen- sexual interaction with this female. They get into an, yeah. a bit of an altercation, and funny man cores out tough guy's eye with a stiletto. Yep, and that's, that's his... Death. That's when he dies. Yeah. That's how it can be read then that this sort of one-sided masculinity would always find its death in a form of femininity. Yeah, I think we can read it like that, except for the fact that he is still killed by a male persona of the funny man. Yes. Yeah. So I wonder. That's if we can even say that the funny man can be gendered in that way because he's not he's clearly not human we don't see any others of his kind uh he seems to be gender fluid although he's playing with his masculine Mm. attributes his masculine voice to bring that sort of yeah foolish wit that he has he he wears gender as a mask I, i agree with you that there isn't any essential gender underneath yeah how different would it have been if the jester had killed him in a feminine aspect like as the the stripper rather than the stripper's husband if if you want to extend the metaphor a bit you could say that he was killed by a the male aspect of the funny man using femininity so that could be then read that it is the the feminine inside the masculine that destroys tough guy. Yeah, and of course he's also destroyed by his own desire to dominate and to own the the feminine. Yeah. That's great. Okay, tough guy dead out of the movie. Goodbye, Goodbye. tough guy. Goodbye, tough guy. Next up, I want to talk about uh, crap puppeteer. I want to save the two best ones for yes. last. He was my fave. He was your fave? Okay. And just as a character. Okay, yeah. I find morally he had the most in common with 
myself. Yeah, and he was just the kindest one and the most considerate one out of all the characters. Yeah, his folly was, however, that he was too trusting. He was gullible. Mm. He assumed that the tough guy had his back and was immediately abandoned uh, when it was inconvenient for the tough guy to do so. Absolutely, tough guy could have saved him. Literally just by calling out so that he could find his way. Yes. I wonder if he's also perhaps a little bit lazy. I mean, he does smoke a lot of that dank. Yep, he do. Uh, He is probably lazy, I guess. But he is also one of the hitchhikers who is more interested in actually finding the missing people, the missing homeowners. Yeah. So he is motivated and he will act altruistically. So he's not really that lazy. I think maybe there's an interesting like dual clown idea in uh, Jewish folklore, the Schlemiel and the Schlemazel. Okay. Uh, It's just from Wikipedia, but I think it's a great example is the Schlemiel is the one who spills the hot soup. And the schlamazel is the one the hot soup gets spilled on. Oh. So the, so the one is clueless, the other one is luckless. And I think Crap Puppeteer is definitely a schlamazel. Yeah. He's, uh, he has the best intentions, but it just does not work out for him. Yeah, that's great. I mean, a schlamiel and a schlamazel also sounds like uh, things people would name their genitalia. <laughs> I don't know if that joke is offensive. <laughs> uh, I don't know either. But I still think it's funny. Uh, I, I apologize, and I also don't apologize. Either way, uh, whatever you need yes. from that joke, um, take it both ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he goes into this kind of service tunnel vibe thing. The tough guy refuses to lend him his lighter so that he can see. Uh, Which is just dickish. Yeah, he's fumbling around in the service tunnel, and he drops his lighter and can't find it again. And then he comes face to face with... What happens? Uh, He comes to a dead end. Yeah, he he comes to a dead end, but then he is pursued by some sort of specter. It's at this point in the film where my concentration was fading and sort of wandering Uh. elsewhere. Uh, But he ends up getting his hands and the top half of his head stuck in a brick wall that has become yeah semi-permeable and then solidified around this section of his body yeah it's almost like it became wet cement sucked him in and then hardened again yeah he is then at least the top half of his head and his hands are transported to a beach where funny man is reclining and watching this punch and judy show and the puppeteers Head is now in the little theater box thing that these shows sort of happen in. And his hands have morphed into Punch and Judy puppets. But they're still clearly made of flesh. And that's kind of horrifying. And they're wet. It's, It's pretty gross. I wonder here if the clown becomes a satire of a certain kind of British 
bourgeois middle class sensibility. The kind of Brit who, who goes to the to the seaside and watches a show about a man beating his wife. Yes, and laughs heartily. So he's playing this Punch and Judy and the Punch and Judy are kind of out of his control. They seem to be acting autonomously. Yeah, they've reverted back to what the tough guy expects from a Punch and Judy show, uh, except that now both Punch and Judy have turned on the puppeteer. Yeah, and Punch fetches a, a comical little bomb, you know, the, the black uh, ball-shaped bomb with the fuse. And he, he, he blows him up. He blows the puppeteer's head up. And then again, uh, what happens a lot in this film is we see Funny Man look directly into camera and then just sort of shrug and look at the camera and shrug again and maybe do a thumbs up yeah. and then shrug and then seem lost in the scene. Like he doesn't know how to interact with the audience. And I kind of wonder if they were just filming the actor yeah. doing stuff and the director would give like a vague, vague direction, like more suave. And then he's like, I don't have any lines here. What? That's also a classic trope of the clown is that connection with the audience and kind of like, hey, you guys are, are in on it too. Yeah. But the way Funny Man mugs to the audience makes it seem like he's kind of going like, was that funny? I guess it was kind of a bit of an anticlimax, but whatever. Yeah, he seems somehow apologetic of his actions, but not of the fact that it is a cruel action as much, near, near. As, much as he is apologetic of being out of touch with modern humor. Yeah, he's not apologizing for killing someone. He's apologizing that it wasn't all that funny. Yeah. He was trying and, you know, it's a swing and a miss. He's from a different time. Unfortunately, that's it for Crap Puppeteer. Yeah. Bye, bye, Crap Puppeteer. He then has a nice little death scene where he stumbles around with half a head and just some blood spurting out. Uh, the next character, who was my favorite, just for nostalgic reasons, is literally uh -huh. Velma from Scooby-Doo. Yeah, of course, here she's called... Thelma. She's called Thelma. I, I heard Velma. I think I was just hearing what I was seeing. No, they absolutely did that on purpose. They kind of muddled the, uh, that distinction. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that was on purpose. Those bloody So people. yeah, this is literally Velma from Scooby-Doo. I mean, I guess there is some stuff to say about it. Yeah. Her inclusion means the van load, Curly and, and the gang. That means that van almost becomes the mystery machine. It almost, yeah, it comes close, but I just don't have a dog. And, I mean, if you don't have a dog, do you really have a Scooby-Doo episode? You literally do not, because the titular character is missing. This, exactly. this Thelma, though, she has a couple of big differences with uh, Velma from Scooby-Doo. Where Velma is, yeah. she generally has the most common sense. She is the voice of reason. She is analytical, scientific. Where this Velma is portrayed as being silly to the point of parody. She is, her character has gone as far as parody. It's gone beyond satire. And then also somehow over-sexualized. Yeah. I mean, I find it really strange because they go to all the effort, right? They've basically recreated the costume. They're calling her Thelma, but she shares almost none of the actual qualities of Velma. Yeah. She's a 
bird watcher, like an obsessive bird watcher. Yeah. Her folly, I guess, is a certain gullibility. Yeah, she's almost, she is focused to the point of being aloof. Yeah. She is. And kind of unaware of her surroundings, maybe. What happens to her is she goes off to find what's happened. This mystery. She must solve the mystery. She's even got the magnifying glass. She finds a pink feather. She's like, it must be a duck. She hears a duck and she follows the sound and she's like, duck, duck. Where is the duck? Uh, She comes to a cooking pot. Funny man pops out with a blunderbuss. And then Max rolls by in his trolley. He says, duck. She says, where? And funny man just literally shoots her brain out of her head. With her eyes and glasses. Yeah. Her eyes being included in that shows that she was not paying attention to what was going on around her. Even though she was paying attention, she was hyper-focused on one thing, missing the big picture. Yeah, I think that might be her folly almost a can't see the forest for the trees thing because she clearly knows ornithology but she somehow mistakes a a dyed pink feather for a feather from an actual duck yeah and then like a carnival house plastic chicken noise for the sound of an actual duck yeah a duck hunting i don't know what they call it like a duck whistle a duck caller yeah and so in that sense she becomes the duck that is being hunted yeah it's weird the one trait she shares with velma is being slightly unsure of herself maybe not having the best self-esteem the character of johnny johnny's character that's max's brother he's belittling and patronizing her and she immediately deflates her social momentum is lost and she accepts that where yeah you know that's probably how velma would react as someone with self-esteem issues. Yeah, I mean, I think that might be the the closest comparison between the two. The final uh, hitchhiker is kind of Jamaican, right? Stereotypically yeah. Jamaican. Yeah, supposed to be Jamaican. Kind of voodoo, hoodoo, witchy, disco yeah. person mashup. This character, I mean, I don't know if it's racist. I think the only thing that might save it from being racist is that it's a combination of tropes. Yeah. So she's Jamaican man, but also very stylishly dressed in like a 70s disco way. Yeah. And then she also has the kind of black exploitation, strong Black Panther woman thing going on. Yeah. She doesn't take any shit from any of the male characters. She's also the one that comes closest to, firstly, even knowing that the fool is there. Yeah. Knowing what the fool can do. And then also very, very nearly defeating the fool. First of all, she injects this weird green liquid into, like, between the knuckles of one of her hands. And... It's like this yeah. green stuff. It kind of looks like reanimator juice. And then yeah, yeah, she yeah. does like some kind of ritual. She finds Funny Man's domain uh, called Sod's Law, uh, which you know, says a lot. And she goes there and challenges him. Her hand then transforms into a kind of gun cannon thing. Like a ground to air gun. Yeah. But... A s- with tracer rounds. It's also incapable of aiming because it just fires randomly in all directions. She should have 
invested yeah. in some rifling maybe inside because you know those maybe the smoothbore barrel it doesn't really aim it just ejects projectiles and they go flying uh so she doesn't manage to harm the funny man but she does manage to scare him in a way that we don't see any of the other characters but it is also the way that the hunter would scare bugs bunny it would be Mm. temporary and almost an existential threat but then it passes and you realize that there was truly no danger yeah yeah the trickster finds a way around this character's power yeah do we want to talk about sod's law Yes. This is part of the liminal clown zone in the mansion. And it's this medieval village down at the bottom of this, I guess, like abyss. And it's this bizarre little village, population one. And the clown's house almost looks like something out of a fairy tale, like a Hansel and Gretel house. It's very brightly painted and stands out from the houses around it. Yeah. So what is the name Sod's Law tell us? From my understanding of the word sod, a sod is sort of a lazy, good-for-nothing type person. And I guess it's it's also then a kind of inversion of, of God's law. Yeah. Yeah, that also kind of takes us to the idea of the, the carnivalesque, which is a Another tradition in which the fool is very important, where all existing hierarchies and mores and social laws are turned on their head for a while. The fool becomes the king, the king becomes the fool. And it seems that this village is a space where that is permanently enacted. He is also all alone. Yeah. So that's a little sad. Yeah, he he does have his talking gnomes in his garden, but you know, they they seem to be not very positive. No. Also in that way, maybe the sod's law could be interpreted as the sod will do as the sod does. For instance, if you look at the characters, their folly, the main thing that in life was their folly, ends up leading to their death. Oh, so that's the sod's law. Yeah. That could be the sod's law is like the yeah i like that i really like that so i i really liked jamaican psychic i think that's what she's billed as uh, okay. in the credits but what is her folly because to me she seems like the strongest most clear-headed most capable character in the film i would say that her folly is overconfidence she takes this knowledge and knowing that this trickster element is around as proof positive that she in fact can take it on that she has some sort of chance versus it mm. that her power is equal to this reality bending literal god yeah <laughs> her hubris yes uh, is what gets her yeah because maybe if she'd taken the rest of the gang with her they might have stood a chance to defeat uh, the funny man her weapon is weird though like it's not a voodoo kind of weapon it's not at uh, all i don't even know how to explain it it's kind of something from an anime to be honest yeah it is it's literally it looks like a six shooter barrel growing out between the middle knuckle yeah or not a barrel the the actual like revolver the i don't know gun stuff the round bit where you put the bullets in yeah that's a chamber yes yeah yeah so it's like just the chamber growing out between her knuckles yeah and really making a 
fucking awful mess of her hand. Like, it really, like, ugh. that's not gonna, I mean, that's gonna leave a mark. So her death was when I got pretty close to just fucking throwing my laptop out of the window. <laughs> um, they have this fight, and it seems like she might actually do something to him. He jumps into some hay to hide, and then she just kind of falls onto the hay. Oh, I fucking hate it. He, like, murder rapes her. Yeah. He crawls through her back and out through her stomach in what is clearly a perverted birth metaphor. Yeah, because he, he's not coming out of her stomach. It's, it's, a, it's a pelvic thing happening. Oh. And then he mugs to the camera and he says, Daddy always said they don't like it in them. Yee. Yee, indeed. Yee, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> oh, ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I have to say, that was yeah. the most uncomfortable I got during the film. Ooh. Yeah, I was just like, actually, actually fuck this movie. Yeah. Johnny, that's Max's brother, is now the final person. Yes. How does he die? Because he discovers his brother's treachery. Here, I'm also unsure. So he, he finds this letter that says, Dear Max, we've seen your brother play guitar. We'd love for him to join the band. All my best, Mick Jagger. So I'm unsure whether that is a real letter or whether the clown is using it to exacerbate and draw out Johnny's envy of his brother. Because I think that's definitely his folly, is his envy. Yeah, it is definitely possible. But I guess either way, it doesn't make that much of a difference. The purpose of the letter is still the same. Yes, I know. I remember how Johnny dies, is the funny man actually gives him this sort of acid flashback and brings him into this place where he is dressed in gold, he's made to play guitar, and he is launched into space where he literally becomes a star. Yeah. He does the team rocket is blasting off again. Yeah. Yeah. And then like it's his face in a cartoon star. I just remember what happened to Max. He goes flying out the window and he falls not onto the grounds of the manor, but he falls into Sod's law where funny man after his killing is done, returns back to there finds Max sitting dejectedly, and then Max becomes a torture doll for the funny man. And he ends up in sort of a Hellraiser-esque bit of a pickle. Uh, that is what happens. He's maybe alive, but he's not making it out. Oh no, he's now, he is stuck in the funny man's realm for eternity. So it's, it's strange to me that Johnny's quote-unquote punishment or his demise is actually a gift from the funny man at first because he for the first time in his life he takes center stage he plays his guitar the crowd loves it he loves it he's great and then he gets blasted off into space so it's strange that he's not really tortured before he's um snuffed out yeah and then is he is it because he's the underdog is he actually snuffed out at all he gets launched into space. Maybe it is because his brother sees him as the fool. Perhaps. Perhaps him finally getting a victory is another punishment for Max. Yeah. Because Max clearly does not take him, his brother seriously. I mean, his brother is made to haul Max's stuff cross-country to his new home as a sort of delivery man. Yeah, and they don't really take care of Johnny. 
even though they have many homes, many apartments, and a yeah. ton of money. Too rich to be unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too rich to be unhappy and also too rich to care. Exactly. Uh, that's about what I had to say about Funny Man. Yeah. We've actually... This might end up being one of our longest episodes yet. It might, but uh, then I might also attack it in the editor. But I, uh, I mean, you could do that. But I think we've said some pretty on-point things about this film. The last yeah. thing I kind of want to do is... Because I, I was doing some research about The Fool, trying to find some things to say about this film. I think the one thing that The Fool does, this funny man gets correct about the fool is that he reminds each man of his own folly that's kind of his whole shtick yeah but at the same time the fool is usually not so cruel yes they they usually have a sense of wisdom and like something that they're trying to teach to their prank victims so in a sense i think we can compare this fool to the modern day troll where there are kind of two kinds of troll. There's people like your Ken M. I don't know if you know Ken M. I don't know this person. He just posts really like ridiculous, clueless comments on uh, news articles to kind of get a bit of a rise out of people. But it's totally harmless. And he plays the kind of the gormless idiot. Okay. Whereas our boy Funny Man, I think, is much more like a like an alt-right Pepe type of troll. He's out to just hurt. He's out to just entertain himself through inflicting suffering upon others. Yeah. And in that sense, he's completely nihilistic in his methods and his, his intentions. And then also out of touch with modern taste. Well, that's also something that goes through the entire film because it all has this very 70s aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, even though it was made in the 90s and is set in the 90s. Yeah, it does seem to be a bit out of touch. Definitely. Okay, I guess that's it for Funny Man. Funny Man, a movie without a plot that had a lot to say about our follies. Uh, Louis, if you had to rate this film out of one to nine personal follies that eventually would lead to your unfunny demise at the hands of a trickster god how many follies would you give it um that's a difficult one i walking into this discussion i was gonna give it a zero okay because i I really (laughs) didn't like this film yeah i'm not watching it again no no i'm quite pleased with how much we actually got out of it so i'm gonna say uh, three out of nine okay that is that is nice uh still a failing grade but better than zero yeah well here in china like anything below 98 percent can be considered not good uh oh no i will give it four out of nine just because i also yeah i enjoyed this discussion i did not enjoy the film i had a hard time watching it because because of the lack of a plot it's fun and games it's all it is but if you do read deeper into it there is some substance to it which is nice and refreshing and i I mean even if that substance is um completely unintentional oh yes of course i guess that brings us to next time on be positive (laughs) we are watching 
The Jaws of Satan. Jaws of Satan. What? What's? Do we know if it's gonna be good or bad? I know for a fact that it can't be good. It can't be good. It's a movie about a snake that is the devil, but also uh, just a snake. And the snake is like, okay. I don't know. I don't know. We'll watch it. We'll see. We'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, excellent. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Yeah. And then, of course, we should announce that uh, we're going to have like a Christmas thing, like a December yeah. episode a week thing. I want to thank everybody who listened yes. to the Halloween episodes. Truly, thank you. It was just from the downloads, really spiked. Yeah. Thank We're you doing guys well, so much. Feeling, feeling positive, and you know it's it. It all comes down to the listeners. We really appreciate it. If you love us, give us a rating. If you don't love us, send us a message. Tell us, hey, I don't like you. Yeah, and then I will feel bad, and then you will have yeah, succeeded. Yeah, we are. Yeah, and and we're always open to critique. We're always open to changing stuff up. If you feel something in the show isn't working for you, um, we'll well, we won't just change it just because you said so. We'll, we'll but we'll take it into consideration. Yeah, we'll think about it. We're good at thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, so feel free to tweet us at Stay Scary or talk to us on Facebook. Also at Stay Scary. Yep, should be. Was this be positive group? Yep, 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 yep. You stay scary. Uh, just because you're a dick doesn't mean you're spooky. Ooh, hi Hey, that is uh just the perfect thing to say post Halloween when the only people left spooky <laughs> are usually goths and sad kids and sad kids and just don't be a dick is what it says because the spooks don't appreciate it. One thing in this film is uh, one of the random, like, Christopher Lee moments where he's doing a voiceover. Oh, he's yeah. quoting poetry, and it's actually from the Mock Turtle song by Lewis Carroll, which itself is a parody of The Spider and the Fly by Mary Botham Howitt, which is just a. It's interesting. He then quotes some poetry later on, which is nothing. It's nothing. But then the Mock Turtle song is about <laughs> like the Mock Turtle going to school. And it's, I don't know. It's in the, it's in the extended Alice's Adventures in, I wanted to say Hollywood. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, not Hollywood. <laughs> is, it, is it like nonsense poetry? It's not nonsense poetry, but like it doesn't have any... You know, it doesn't really have an effect on the story or it's not it's not a big thing yeah. that's I couldn't connect it to anything. That's why I didn't. Um, I'm going to be interviewed for a, a show soon. Some someone wants to interview me. Oh. Yeah, uh, I'm going to be on a podcast called Four C's One Family. For what things? Four C's One Family. C's as in the letter C or as in the ocean? Oh, no, the water. The splashy okay, one. Okay, okay, excellent. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. What are you going to be interviewed about? Uh, being an expat podcaster who does a podcast with someone in a different country. It's very specific. It's almost mm. like someone like literally very specific. making a podcast about me. Well, that's awesome. I'm also I'm waiting for my invite to a South African podcasters get together thing. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Um, that's exciting. I'm on their email list. We're gonna do that. Exciting. I wish I could be there. So for we're that. gonna have to start, you know, building.